Hello again, everybody, and welcome back to the podcast. I'm not Coco. And I'm not Dalt. And what are we celebrating on this podcast, Coco? What big deal has just happened? We're kind of a big deal. Yes. In case you didn't know, we celebrated just today 10,000 total downloads all time. As we said in our Twitter and Facebook posts commemorating the moment, that's a lot of downloads for one listener. Way to go, listener. Thanks for doing that. We appreciate you and all your support, listener. And thanks for traveling the world, actually, and downloading from various countries. We also appreciate that because that's hard to do, and that shows dedication. Maybe listener is like a KGB agent or something. Oh, maybe. Oh, maybe that's why all the crime stuff we do is is popular. Oh, because yeah. Because it's maybe listener is a killer. Oh, that'd be cool. Yeah, on the lamb from the law <laughs> and is listening to us for yucks. <laughs> KGB agents tend to be down with the yucks. They like, they like the yucks. <laughs> so, Coco, tell us what we're uh, talking about today. Speaking of yucks. <laughs> and speaking of crime, uh, so we are actually reviewing something for once that is not on Netflix. It's on Sundance Now. It's a three-part miniseries called Des, D-E-S. It's the based on a true story story of the Scottish serial killer, Dennis Nilsson, whose nickname is Des. Mm-hmm. He killed, he admitted to killing 15 or 16 uh, young men in London between like 1978 and 1983. I believe the cops only know eight of their names and they could actually only pin 12 or 13 on him. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was played by David Tennant mm-hmm. and... He got busted in 1983, uh, went to trial, found guilty of murdering all those guys. Spoiler. Spoiler. Uh, This miniseries was based on the book Killing for Company, which is by a guy named Brian Masters, who's sort of, it seems like a British Truman Capote, who visited Des in jail and wrote the book about him. So, uh, Daltz, what did you think of Des? So just, uh, I thought we were watching something about a designated driver, <laughs> like a guy who goes to a bar and just <laughs> drives his friends home. That's what I thought we were watching. You're like, wait a minute, where's Kiefer Sutherland? I thought this was designated survivor. <laughs> oh, look at you. <laughs> yeah. There are a lot of Des jokes there we could probably make. I uh, Kiefer really looks like David Tennant these days. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that makeup that they do, or is that CGI? We're not sure. That's crazy. Uh, I So the story picks up with David Tennant playing, as you mentioned, Coco, uh, the killer, Nielsen. And the story starts in the first five minutes with him being arrested for these crimes. Like it's, it's almost right off the hop. Is it not, if I'm remembering yeah. correctly? Like we don't have any setup. There's no guy walking to an apartment and then, or they're having beers together and then he, they take him to the apartment. It's, it's him getting arrested is essentially the main focus of the first part. And then we just go from there. In terms of him uh, admitting it, him uh, giving details of the crimes. Um, the police investigation. The police investigation, the, the detectives looking into it, the detectives trying to get confirmation of names and that sort of thing. So where I'm going with this is it's kind of a non-traditional true crime story is that there are no flashbacks. There are no recreations of the murders or anything like that. You see some of the murder victims uh, in pictures, but you don't actually meet them. Uh, You see some of the people, like in flashbacks, and you see some of the people who had crimes committed to them, like they were assaulted and that sort of thing, but you don't really have a a sense of who these people are, who the victims were, Um, which I thought was fascinating in that, so this being a British production, 
obviously, um, and on Sundance now. I was I was fascinated by the way that this was not obviously an American production. So this was the the color was drab, the scenery was not fantastic, the 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 uh, costumes were very much of the period, which of the late seventies, early eighties. So they looked like they were of that time, but it was very subdued. There wasn't a lot of action per se. There wasn't a lot of pursuit of the criminal. No, you know, there weren't a lot of thrills in that. It was very cerebral. It's very similar to, uh, in some ways, to the Criminal UK series that we watched, in that the dialogue drove it all. All the the behind the scenes kind of things that you had to figure out what was going on in your own was a lot there too. So I I thought it was I thought it was pretty amazing i uh in particular love david tennant as the killer i thought he was fantastic i looked into it a little bit and our research department got me some materials and <laughs> i uh um looked at and looked at the actual killer what he looked like and david tennant looked almost exactly like him it's scary it was pretty scary and uh apparently his mannerisms were very good and very accurate um the uh, the uh, accent that he had so david tennant is from scotland uh the killer was from scotland as well so there was one of the few times that David Tennant's actually been able to have a Scottish accent in something that he's done. Um, and so that was, that added another layer to it, to the authenticity. I, I just thought it was really good. It was, a, it was three parts like Coco said, and I could have done with more of this. So this is one of those instances where, um, wow. Leave, they leave you wanting more, <laughs> but this is the way it's supposed to be, right? Doss not, is not a fan of series. He's like, oh God, we don't need six or eight or 10 parts. Let's right. just watch movies. And this, right. so this is surprising to hear him say that he would have taken more. And, and this is, and when I say that, I don't mean I wanted 12 parts. You right. know, like I, where I'm going with this is I liked it so much that I wish it had, it had continued. Now, mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that it needed to continue. I don't think there were any holes here. I don't think there were any plots that were not explored that they should have. Uh, we didn't need any flashbacks. We didn't need any treatment of who he was as a kid or anything like that. Like, I think it all would have added to the story, sure. But I think the way that they presented it was really good. Um, Daniel Mays was the lead uh, detective in it, and we had watched him in uh, White Lines, White Lines, which I thought was very good, and also mm-hmm. many parts. And he was in Rogue One, too, randomly. Yeah, we just rewatched Rogue One this weekend, not at my insistence, and he <laughs> has a bit part in Rogue One. And so we were shocked when he rolled onto the screen and we were like, that guy's in white lines and Des. Like, it's what? that guy. And yeah. he's also in line of duty. So he, uh, he's got some chops and he also not a traditional, uh, he wouldn't have been a Hollywood lead in this, you know, no, like, he's not a classically handsome leading man. He's, he's a, he's just a very good actor, which I think is the way it should be. Um, and he did a really good job of looking tortured over these, uh, you know, these deaths of these kids and, and young men. Europeans uh, do world weary really well. He, We've and he said did, that before, but yeah. he did a, great job so i've rambled on and on i thought it was pretty good but before i add more coco what did you think <laughs> well i uh, i also enjoyed it i i wish like david tennant was great because david tennant is great in everything he does mm-hmm. and i realized this wasn't his call this is who he was portraying but i really wish he just could have like cut loose for a few scenes mm-hmm. and just chewed the scenery like oh yeah i understand Dennis Nilsson is much different from Ted Bundy and not one who would be prone to like courtroom histrionics. Right. So this isn't a part that, you know, he's going to be able to sink his teeth into from like an over the top perspective. Mm. But at the very end of the first episode, 
he's talking to the guy who plays Brian Masters, and I believe, and I don't remember exactly what they're talking about, but the entire rest of the episode, like when he got arrested and when he's at the police station, and he's just, it reminded me of his, like the first like five to eight minutes of him in the first episode of the first season of Criminal UK. Like he was also Mm -hmm. a suspect. He's in the interrogation room. The cops are asking him questions and he's just sitting there and he's just like, no comment, no comment. Mm -hmm. That's all he says for the first five to eight minutes. He's just very dispassionate. And that was the same in the first part of the first episode of Des. Mm -hmm. He's describing like, oh, yeah, well, you know, I cut his head off and I boiled it and then I put his remains under the floorboards. But he's just so dispassionate. There's just nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like he's talking about like, yeah, I walked my dog down to the corner and I picked up like a newspaper and a pack of smokes and then I went back home. Like, it, there's just nothing there. But then at the very end of the first episode, he's talking to the guy who plays Brian Masters and the mask slips mm-hmm. and you can see like the cruelty and the malice. Mm-hmm. And I was just like enthralled. I was like, oh my God, I wish I could watch the next two episodes right now. This is amazing. But then for the next two episodes, he kind of went back to not completely dispassionate because there were times when he would get kind of agitated a little bit, right. but there wasn't that mask slip moment where you could see the cruelty and the malice. And I was disappointed in that. But like I said, this is not a character who's prone to courtroom histrionics Mm -hmm. and tantrums and throwing things like that's who this person was. So that's how this has to be played. Like he's still kind of an enigma. Mm -hmm. Well, I think this is almost like the perfect British serial killer. Like this guy is so reserved and so uh, quiet and, in some ways, you know, he's he's holding everything back in the great British tradition. You know, don't express your emotions. Don't be forceful. Don't do stiff this. Stiff upper lip. Yeah, stiff upper lip. Don't do anything in public that you don't want people to see and all that sort of stuff. And, and I think it was it, it epitomized that. It was just fantastic. And we say this having not read Killing for Company because I did look into trying to get it like on Amazon, like mm-hmm. even just Kindle, and apparently it's not available anymore. Oh, so, right. out of print. Yeah, so I would have uh, I would have been very interested in reading it just to get more more background yeah. on. Although, I will say if you want to go to Wikipedia, I understand that Wikipedia is not, in many cases, completely accurate about a lot of things, but they do have a very kind of comprehensive entry on Dennis Nilsson. So mm-hmm. if, if you're interested in learning more about like his background and his childhood and stuff, you mm-hmm. can check out the wiki. But I thought it was very interesting the way they did that. I, I liked that about it, actually. That was part of the appeal to me is that we didn't have the table being flipped because it was the tension that you were going to have the table be flipped. It was like, when are we going to learn that this guy is completely out of his mind? And when are we going to learn how cruel he is? And as one of the reviews I read uh, from the New York Times, I said, this was more about the how than the, or more about the why than the how, which a lot of these things goes in and it shows you, shows the guy with the hacksaw and the arm bone and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Whereas we didn't have any of that. We just had our imagination. And even when they were digging up the bodies in the one backyard of the flat that he was staying at, we didn't get a lot of graphic, you know, details on that. And it was just kind of a tent and there were lights shine on it and, and they were sifting the soil. We didn't have this discovery moment where somebody holds up a femur and they're like, <laughs> I've got it. You know, and yeah. then somebody grabs it and puts it in a bag and runs, you know, to the lorry and mm-hmm. takes off to the station and all that. You know, like we didn't have that kind of drama. It was just like everyday detective work. And I, I thought that that was authentic. I like that kind of thing. And again, citing citing Criminal UK ad nauseum here, but 
it just uh, that's the kind of that's real world stuff. You know, you like guys doing shootouts in the street and sliding their cars and car chases <laughs> across you know avenues and stuff like that. That's not really what happens in real. You know, it happens, but not to the extent that you think it does when you watch a movie and you get that perception. Right, like you watch crime documentaries and you see how they painstakingly put together a case that you know the suspect wasn't standing there with a smoking gun. Right, and you're like, wow, that is mind-numbingly tedious tedious you know that's a lot of paperwork that like oh my god i don't know if i'd want to do that you know well i could stand the dead bodies and the the part about this too is that there were a lot of there were a lot of those details too there are a lot of like well we we have we have to really nail this down because one of the uh tipping points in this whole case was he admits to killing so many people but we didn't have any names. So there was no attachment to those names. And so they had to attach the names to the victims. And that was a thing I, Dalt suggested that maybe it was, you know, uh, a pre DNA of the time of the time. Like you have to have a name, but like here in the States, you don't need a name. You, if you've got a body, you've got John Doe number one and he's got like, you know, John Doe's one through eight or whatever. So I'm like, why do they need a name mm-hmm. to charge this guy when they've got like all these dead bodies, you know, cut up in his cabinet and, yeah. Yeah. you know, buried in his backyard. Yeah. So I didn't, I don't understand if that's like a quirk of the British system or. And that or was what. part of it that was interesting to me is that they were trying so desperately to identify these guys. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously you need to identify them uh, yeah, for yeah, the families yeah. and, and all the good reasons there. But to attach it to the the crime itself, to attach those names to the crime themselves, that was fascinating to me. It was for that very reason. It's like why why wouldn't you just the guy's admitting to doing it? You've got the bodies, you've got the evidence. Because the big thing here in the states is if you don't have a body, then it's harder to to charge for the crime. Um, in this case, it's if you don't have the name to go with the body, then you can't connect it and that was that was interesting to me because that was a a focus that you don't have anymore because you have dna and you have Mm -hmm. forensics that are much more advanced than they were in those days obviously and it did the the at the end it flashed up and it said in 2008 dna Mm -hmm. was able to give one of his unidentified victims a name so so we have like eight names now as opposed to seven names and then like five unidentified bodies so And that was a it was a case I had known nothing I had known nothing about I knew nothing about before we watched this. That's another thing too. I'd never heard of this guy. I have lived in London and I've spent a bit of time in the UK, so I've heard of British serial killers and not just Jack the Ripper, funny right. guy, but like the Moors <laughs> murderers and even like that uh, kid who killed another kid in like 1997 mm-hmm. in Manchester, like. So I've heard of British killers before, but I've never heard anything about this guy. So I don't mm-hmm. know. And there are British killers. And there are British killers. And he just died a few years ago, too. Yeah, in, 2018. In yeah. prison. So I don't remember hearing anything about that when he died. Mm-hmm. Like, nothing. So I don't know if it's... I don't know what's up with that. But he's definitely not somebody who... Like, here in the States, like, freaking everybody knows Ted Bundy. Everybody knows Jeffrey Dahmer. Right. Like, you know the serial killers. And... There, well, it's like, the celebration of violence that doesn't yeah. necessarily happen in the UK or other right. other countries around the world compared to the United States. And that's funny because we watched the Ted Bundy movie with uh, our, our buddy Zach Efron. Love the, Zach Efron. The other day. And it was very much, a we didn't do it intentionally, but it was very much a study on contrasts in that you've got the Ted Bundy, handsome guy, giving interviews all the time to the TV in, in those days. 
Um, and the women were swooning and they were coming to the trial and all these sort of really reprehensible things. Uh, but he was a savage guy too. Like oh, he, yeah. he was just as bad as this guy. And yet he was not necessarily celebrated by the media. He was, he was, uh, he was interviewed and people were clamoring for information about him. So therefore the media was giving him to him. But he was he was no different or no better than this guy. But we know all sorts of things about Ted Bundy. How many movies have been made about Ted Bundy? Right. We watched the documentary. We watched the movie with our bro Zach. We've uh, there was another series that we you were talking about mm-hmm. in terms of the the woman that he married. There's all sorts of these kinds of depictions, and yet we've got this one series on Dez, and this guy did some horrific horrific things. Yeah. If if you read the Wikipedia entry on him, they didn't really go into on the series, like a lot of what he did with, I mean, you know, obviously they talked about cutting him up, but there was some, some other stuff that he did with the bodies and they didn't even like talk about that. I, I think he would have been just as big a fame whore as Ted Bundy if Mm -hmm. he had been given the opportunity because he did have like clippings of himself, like hung up in his jail cell and stuff. So Mm -hmm. I think he, he would have like courted the media attention if he could have, but yeah. I think they locked it down a whole lot better than Well, and we I think did. he also uh, was sitting down to have the book written about him. Right. So he did the best he could, I think, in those times. He yeah. was like, yeah, I want somebody to write a book about all this. And he was very careful to document everything he had done. Mm-hmm. And he had doc- uh, diagrams in these notebooks and everything, like things that he obviously – there was some sort of uh, you know narcissism going on here with him in a lot of ways, and that he wanted all the attention to be spent on him. And then when the book was written, and Brian Masters <laughs> said, you know, I wrote it on a cautionary tale or whatever it was, and then he got really up. The uh, uh, Nielsen got really upset that the book was not strictly about his accomplishments and how twisted a guy he was or mm-hmm. his legacy or what have you. So I thought that I was that was very interesting. It was very British. I, I liked it. I like, as I said to you, Coco, at one point, it's like, I like these foreign crime dramas because it's not just all, let's go out and shoot them. You know, like, <laughs> let's have a car chase. And like, it was all very nuanced and detail-oriented, etc. I will watch as much foreign crime as you want. Like, Netflix thinks that's all I want to watch anyway. Well, that's so, all you want to watch. So anytime, like, you just want to sit down and pound out like an eight-part Norwegian <laughs> noir thing. Like, I'm there. Like, I live here. So you don't even have to text me and be like, hey. <laughs> Let's get together. S- season three of Borgen. You know, like, <laughs> you know, like you know, I'm here. So just, you know, be like, sup. What I'd like to see, actually, is a crime series starring the uh, Swedish chef from The Muppets. Oh, my God. Where he investigates crimes. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? Or what if he's the killer? Oh, he's and, the killer. And like and Beaker that's... is investigating the crimes. <laughs> Beaker is doing the interrogating. And and... So he's got the like the real hands. Yeah. The Swedish chef's got the real hands. He's got like the the cleaver. Yeah. <laughs> and Beaker's like, murmur, me, murmur. Under seeing your bargain. <laughs> that would be amazing. I think, see Netflix, call us. Totally. <laughs> Drop us an email because uh, we've got ideas. Oh, no, wait. The Swedish chef is the Muppets. Yeah. So they'd be Disney Plus. So Disney, oh. Disney Plus has to call us. Right, you're right. They just rebooted The Muppets. You, didn't you try to watch that? I tried to watch it. I made it through about 10 minutes of it. Oh, that's sad. Yeah, it was not good. Oh, I'm sorry. 
So any uh, final thoughts on Des? I, uh, I recommend it. Uh, David Tennant, to me, has uh, shot up in terms of where he stands in the acting world after seeing him in Criminal UK. I mean, I watched him in Doctor Who with my daughter many a time. And I thought he was fine. I mean, there's only so much you can do with that right. role. He didn't. Uh, he didn't upset me. Or you know, I've seen a lot of Doctor <laughs> Who in my time. I was like, I can't believe what he's doing with that role. Like he, he was good. <laughs> but uh, seeing him in Criminal UK was fantastic. And then seeing him again in this, he was uh, like, this is Oscar territory that he's wow. Like he was just that good because he was so nuanced and he was so subtle, and you could you could see the the crazy. <laughs> in him you know like the way he's you know i'm not just talking about the the hair and the glasses like, yeah the that very was a, 80s like oversized aviators right that, in the suit and yeah. everything like that like he, he that was all fine and good but the way he sat the mm-hmm. way he looked the the way he lit his cigarette and oh by the way this is not an anti-tobacco movie oh my god no everybody is smoking everywhere oh like. man i was getting secondhand smoke just watching this thing <laughs> i was thinking that we might have to open the windows when we were watching it it's the early 80s in england so wow yeah, so much smoke yeah but uh fantastic david Tennant is is worth the price of admission everybody else in this is really good like i said uh, david mays was you know as the lead detective very good um i'm getting uh I'm giving more appreciation for his acting talents. I thought in white line, line white lines, pardon me. <laughs> I thought he was fine. I thought he maybe was a little bit over the top a little bit, but now I'm getting more used to his style and and mm-hmm. I think this was really good. I think he was really good. What did you think, Coco? What's uh I'm I'm gonna give it like uh I don't know two cadavers up or something like that. Yeah, I was going to say, when you said David Tennant's in Oscar territory, I was like, wow, Daltz has given it two cleavers oh, up. Oh, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it, he's, he's fantastic in this. I, every time he's on screen, I was riveted mm-hmm. by his performance. We need to watch Broadchurch. We I'm do. telling you. We do. Him and Olivia Coleman. speaking of Oscar winners. Wow. Yeah, can't beat that. So what do you think? So I enjoyed it. I will say um, he was clearly begging to get caught because he flushed <laughs> bones and organs down his toilet. Right. I lose one hair on my head down the bathroom sink, and that thing is stopped up for like a week. And this guy is flushing bones and organs down a toilet. Like the plumbing was going to go eventually. Yeah. So he was just begging to get caught. Yeah. Um, you know, another reason to think that, yeah, this guy was probably a fame whore, mm-hmm. like dying to be a fame whore. But, Narcissist. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, I, I enjoyed it. I, I wish. David Tennant could have had a couple more meaty scenes, mm-hmm. but like I said, that's just not who this person is. Right. He he did what he did with the character very, very well. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed it. I will watch David Tennant in anything. I love him. He's fantastic. Uh, Daniel Mays? Daniel Mays, yeah. Daniel Mays? Yeah, he was... Did I say David Mays earlier? Is it David or is it Daniel? No, I just think it's Daniel. Oh, okay. Whoever he is, the Rogue One and White Lions Daniel guy. Mays, yeah. Daniel Mays. He was really, really good as well. He um, There's this one... Like, you knew he was going to say it, but it still got you. Like, at the very end, when he and Brian Masters are in Dez's apartment, and Brian Masters was just like, oh, I don't know how they're going to be able to rent this out because of the smell of all the bodies. And Daniel Mays was like, yeah, I don't smell it anymore. And, like, you knew he was going to say it, but when he said it, the way he said it, you were just like, oh, man, that's, yeah. that is brutal. So, yeah. yeah, the entire cast was great. Yeah, uh, The supporting cast was great. David Tennant was great. Whoever played Brian Masters was uh, a little bit... Maybe a little bit on the hammy side for me initially, <laughs> but I thought as the series went on, he he kind of Jason Watkins of the Crown. He uh, he eased into sort of like the weight of what it was he was doing, and it said at the very end that in real life Brian Masters visited Dennis Nilsson in prison for like another ten years. Yeah, and that was like 
the only guy who visited him. Like, you know, Des didn't call a priest or anything. Right. Like, it was just his biographer. So, yeah, I'd give it, I'd give it like in the B plus to A minus range. Oh, yeah. Like right on that, right on that line. So it sounds like I liked it more than you liked it. I, I liked it, but yeah, I mean, if you're giving it two cleavers up, then, yeah. then you liked it more than I did. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that a strong performance lifts all boats. Mm-hmm. And I thought that David Tennant's performance in this was just so good yeah. that he brought everybody else up. And Dan, like you said, Daniel Mays was great too. So I'm not uh, underplaying his his right. performance at all. But Barry Ward was good too. We Barry should give Ward him a call good. out. He was also in White Lines. Right. So. Yeah. I, I But I think that the story, I love the fact that this was subtle. I love yeah. the fact that this mm-hmm. was not a shoot 'em up. There wasn't gore blood everywhere. It very easily could have been. And, it, you know, I like the fact that he didn't flip a table. And I like the, the, the caged rage of all this was yeah. what I liked about it. It's not Zach Efron as Ted Bundy, like shaking his finger in John Malkovich's face, like right. screaming about how he's been mistreated in prison, like. And jumping out a window and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I think we're good. All right, rock and roll. So if you want to add to our total of 10,000 downloads, please do. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Ghana, if you're in India, TuneIn, Google Play, iHeartRadio, IMDb, and now Amazon Music. We are very excited. Please find us on any of those platforms. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts so others can find us as well. If you would like to find us on social media, we're on Facebook and Twitter at Coco and Dalts. If you want to shoot us an email, let us know what you think of this episode, what you want to hear us review in the future. We are at Coco and Dalts at gmail.com. And finally, you can find us on the interwebs at Coco and Dalts com for reviews of things that we don't talk about on the podcast. So thanks again, listener, for hitting us on the 10,000 downloads. What, what? We are a huge hit, and it's all because of you, so we appreciate that. So for another episode of the podcast, stay tuned for what we got uh, coming up next. It's going to be big, I'm telling you. I'm not Coco. <laughs> and I'm not Dots.